like so many other teenagers this time of year. She was looking forward to going to her prom. They never made it home from the prom. Prosecutors say he murdered his family in anger because he was not allowed to drive himself to his prom. They are also investigating whether a dispute over prom led to the stabbing. Teen's death after prom at midday, we told you her date's mother took a plea deal. The victim was in the hallway near a stairwell when she was allegedly attacked with a kitchen knife. They never made it home from the prom. She was convicted of providing oxycodone and alcohol to Barone's daughter on prom night. Mary should be celebrating at her prom this evening. Instead, we are mourning her death. A member of the school staff witnessed a portion of the assault. Choking his date, who later died. They never made it home from the prom. She was an honor student, class president, and member of the tennis team. Grounded by his father. He could not go to the prom. Lived to tell murder on prom night. He asked her prom. She said, no, I have a new boyfriend. Like, he strangled her. The junior prom has now been canceled. Instead, those students will be meeting with grief counselors as well as teachers inside the school's gymnasium. They never made it home from the prom. He couldn't go to dinner before the prom. He couldn't go to the after prom. I believe he killed his family and then was able to go to the prom. It's not who you go with, honey. It's who takes you home. Okay, all right, everybody, hold on. Just that's what I hear in my dreams. Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent, here with Kevin and Kat. Hey, guys. Hello. Hey, what's up? Dave is out this week. He's still on the West Coast getting caught up in the uh, glamour and the glitterati and all that Mm. comes with doing showbiz in Hollywood. Who knows if he'll be back. He's forgotten about us. Uh, But in the meantime, he is unable to participate this week. As we go to prom, Cat oh. is all dressed up for prom. Yes. I wish you could see her. She's got <laughs> her she sash. Is. 2009 prom queen, Marshwood High <laughs> School. Yes, I do put it on my resume because uh, I just like a little bit extra flair. <laughs> and I want people to know that I was popular and I did peak in high school. So here we are. You know, I I decided not to. I was going to do a bit about you you being prom queen, and then I thought, well, maybe she, you know, probably doesn't want to talk. Like, what kind of loser would want to like go on a podcast oh. and like talk about how they were prom queen? And maybe I won't. I won't mention it unless she does. So I'm glad you. Oh yeah. Sort of um, addressed the elephant in the this room. This is all I've got. This is all I've got. <laughs> it was it was only a few years ago. Sure. Yeah. A you're few? still high. You're still high on the. On the uh, it's like a decade. On the coronation. Yeah, the recent coronation. Definitely, so I've definitely worn my sash a lot. There's so many stains on it. There's like beer. I must have spilled a stout on it at one point. Um, but you know, I just wow. I just like to uh, I just like to show it off. What am I gonna do? Keep it in a pristine yeah, I, boxed case I, with my I, diploma that I paid thirty thousand dollars for? No. Wow, I didn't. <laughs> no. I didn't realize you wore it that much. Well, it's been in my closet. You know, I don't break it. I, now it's only for special occasions like this. Well, podcast. I've seen it twice, and so we've only. Well, <laughs> we haven't been doing this for that long. Well, we had Carrie. I had to break it out. <laughs> how, how many kids were in your class? By the way, just curious. I think like two hundred. Oh, well, not yeah. Bad. It's you know, 
It's not like Portland High numbers, but oh, it's not Trent's like, like oh, what, what'd you go to like Caribou High where they're like 14 kids? <laughs> I wanted to know how many people she beat out. I was waiting for it, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, are you going to make a sly remark? No, I was see where this fucking is going. cool, kind of. <laughs> not really, but. So we're talking about prom horror this week. I tend to think of prom horror as being part of the legacy of calendar horror, the like early slasher generation where you just went down through the calendar and made a horror movie around whatever the date was, Black Christmas, Halloween, Friday the 13th, My Bloody Valentine, April Fool's Day, Mother's Day, Graduation Day. You've got them all. Finally, you start getting to the bottom of the barrel. I don't know, prom? Prom is, is a good time. Where, where else do you have all these teens together? It's almost like a summer camp. Um, it's a great time to uh, do some slicing and dicing of the kids. Mm. So we have an uh, um, older classic prom horror and a later, more contemporary, uh, and eh, I would say somewhat different prom horror, although there are some similarities. Uh, Kevin, you uh, kicked us off with something classic. What was your pick this week? I went with... We went with, sorry, Dave. We He's went, not here. He doesn't have any say in this. We went with 1980s prom night. So this is the one. This is the one. Everyone can picture the cover. It's Jamie Lee Curtis on the cover wearing exactly what Kat's wearing right now. Maybe a different color scheme. Uh, this, is, this is a cult classic, definitely. It came out in 1980, the same year that Friday the 13th came out. And also another Jamie Lee Curtis horror movie, John Carpenter's The Fog. So she was pretty busy post-Halloween. She was uh, quickly launching herself into Scream Queen status. Still the greatest of all time, in my opinion. But it's got a, a classic old-school intro where you have a bunch of kids playing a game. Something bad happens. Someone dies. We flash forward into the high school years, and it's prom time. And now you have Jamie Lee Curtis's character, Kim, who is all grown up. You have her dad, who somehow is Leslie Nielsen, who is more grown up. <laughs> and then you've got her, Alex, her brother, her twin brother, fraternal twins. And then you've got a bunch of the friends that were there in this um, questionably acted opening sequence. Wendy, Kelly, Jude. I guess you would call them the mean girls. Lindsay Lohan would have fit in right well with them. But uh, people start dying. It's a pretty classic slasher. People start dying. It's all revolved around prom night. We get to the seminal evening and the killer is revealed. Um, it's not a great movie by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination, um, but it is at least uh, sort of original, I guess. It does have this sort of original killer, and I don't want to give away who the killer is. Um, it's not like your typical slasher story when the killer is revealed. It has this sort of uh, Jalo vibe, which makes sense coming out in 1980. It does have some pretty good kill scenes, um, even though a couple of them are like hilarious. But I love that about classic 80s slashers is it can sort of make you recoil and laugh at the same time, which is one of the best redeeming qualities of 80s horror. And I think it let all those boys get those girls into the movie theater to trick them into seeing a scary movie because you can scream, you can laugh, you can put your head on my shoulder at the prom. Nice. Um, I love this one. I think that Jamie Lee Curtis saves this movie. Um, I think if I had seen it before I had ever seen Leslie Nielsen in all of the subsequent hilarious comedy films that he would do, I would have been kind of, you know, not as much taken aback by his character. But I legit had not seen this movie probably since I was like 10 years old. So we're talking decades since I'd seen Prom Night. Um, I do understand why it's a cult classic. I do think it is an absolute seminal slasher. You have to watch it if you want to be uh, a connoisseur of the genre. 
but you can pick it apart as well. So, Kat, what did you think? Had you ever seen Prom Night? I had never been privy to the original 1980s Prom Night. Uh, I thought it was a fun little slasher movie. Uh, Not really a lot of substance, but it was a classic, you know, revenge on hot teens kind of film. Obviously, our queen, Jamie Lee Curtis, is in it, and I would watch her in anything. Was her character very good? Not really. I don't think any of the characters were particularly well written. Uh, The killer themselves was okay. We made it like halfway through the movie, though, before we even got to see any slashing or axing. I thought the killer was interesting in that it wasn't, you know, this like strong, untake-downable person. Like they seemed very weak. They were not a Michael Myers type. They weren't just like taking everybody down. Like people were taking the killer down just as much as they were slashing other people. So that part was interesting. Sure. Um <sighs> I I don't know. I was a I was a big fan of the sparkly bedazzled uh mask that they wore, like the ski mask that somehow was had like sparkles in it. I thought that was some some really nice flair mm. for sure for the yeah. 80s prom. For the you prom, know? sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I liked that little detail. Um I might adopt that, um bringing it back. It was also nice that he didn't discriminate against virgins and non-virgins. He was like, you know what? I'm just going to kill them all. I don't care <laughs> if you banged. Must die. I don't care if you said no, Drew. Not here. Not in this gross, dirty locker room. Uh, <laughs> I uh, loved the music in the film for about the first two mm. uh, choruses of each song. Um, And then I wanted to mute it because everything just repeated over and over and over again. And I wanted to die. Um, Oh, I can can tell you why a little bit later. I can't wait. It was a very great explanation for you. Because I was about to lose my mind with that stupid like 10 minute dance scene. Or it was just the chorus over and over and over and over again. I was like, I can't can't watch Jamie Lee. It's not even worth it at this point. Um, So yeah, all in all, I think I wanted more slashing. I wanted some more gore. I probably wanted some Jamie Lee Curtis boobs, but what can you do? It was not an unwatchable film. Wow. I am surprised by both of you. Oh. Maybe disappointed. I love this. I'd never seen Prom Night before. I I said I love it. I'm merely (laughs) pointing out how it can be picked apart. I I also said I love this movie and you have to see it. You said it wasn't very good. You said, is it very good? No. Well, Well, no. Is he wrong? It's it's not. But it's awesome. (laughs) It's it's uh, awesome. I loved Prom Night. This was my first time, and I watched it a couple times. Wow. Um, and as far as, uh, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis is great, but just a couple things here. The star of this movie is whoever plays Lou, the um, galutin bully bad boy. <laughs> the unibrow. Uh, he really... Oh. Lou stole the show. I love that guy. Whoever that was, he looks great like job. a garbage pail kid come to life. <laughs> He's like a John Travolta wannabe from... Uh, Carrie, but in this form. 
Um, I thought the um, the prank phone call stuff to me very Black Christmas. I mean that to me that's the original prank phone calls, and and I love the way this kicked right into that. It really wastes no time setting up. Um, this is available on Shutter right now, also on like every free site. It's on Peacock, it's on Tubi for free, Vudu with ads. Uh, it's ninety nine cents on Prime. So prom night, very easy to see. And as far as the gore being restrained, cat you mentioned, it does take a little while. Um, to get going, but to me that's typical, and and that's like a dividing line to me between like first generation slasher and later slashers. By by the end of the like slasher era, and even now, I think you think of slasher movies, you think of like body count, you think of people like getting off throughout the whole movie and getting into like double digits uh, of dead people. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the early slashers take like forty five minutes to an hour. When, when you go back now, you realize that, like, all of their effects budget was backloaded, and they were trying to, like, get through the first 45 minutes and, or an hour and set up all of the characters and set up the story, and you have the killer, like, lurking around the fringes, and he's kind of stalking his prey, and he's getting his courage together and his plan together, and there might be a couple fake-outs where you think it's going to start, but he doesn't really start. And then you get to that last half hour, 20 minutes, and, you know, you blow all your powder right there. So this does that, and, and I think that a lot more of the old slashers do that than we remember now, and that's why sometimes it, it does seem like it takes a little while. And even the, um, you know, the bloodletting, when it does happen outside of one of the greatest decapitations we've seen, certainly on the show um the killing isn't like it's not that gory it's not that graphic really no and 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 i think you you call that a good point trent but one thing that a lot of slashers did which i think wes craven did a great job of acknowledging in scream when he sort of revived the genre is what they would do is they would give you a quick kill they would give you like a very early kill so that you get that adrenaline pumping and you're like oh yeah here we go and then it's like Mm -hmm. 45 minutes of like the camp counselors picking their cabin and trying to get the kids to go swimming and picking up their swim trunks and somebody almost showing their boobs and by the time you know it it's 50 minutes into the movie and no one's died since the opening (laughs) kill well they do hit you with the opening kill i thought the opening was very morbid i loved the intro with the little kids they're like 10 12 years old max the killer uh, is running around you the abandoned building. The killer is coming. Yeah, I wish. What? So they're just they're just playing hide and seek, but they call it the killer is coming. I can't believe I never played that version. I always just played regular old hide and seek. But in this version, the seeker is killer, and they chant the whole time, "Killer is coming! Killer is coming!" And then accidentally, uh, poor little Robin Hammond, who who plays the. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis, that's Kim, her character's younger sister. Um, she uh, falls to her death in what I think is uh, pretty bold to open up for the movie, a young child dying like that. And then not only does she fall to her death, but then as insult to injury, the the window pane after, <laughs> like a few minutes later, the giant window pane falls yeah. on top of her, even to <laughs> make sure she's really in the ground. Oh, she did. Um, so, I, yeah, so it did give you the early kill, at least in that sense. Well, you, you mentioned you mentioned Black Christmas and Cat mentioned the movie, and very interesting about the the music to this to this film. It was directed by a guy named Paul Lynch, who really never did any feature films after this. He just immersed himself in television, so he did do some TV films. But if you look up his filmography, it's tons of TV. But for music, he recruited Paul Zaza and Carl Zittrer, so some serious Z's in his music department there, but. Paul Zaza 
and Zittra did nearly all of Bob Clark's movies. And Zittra did the music for Black Christmas. And Zaza would go on to do... Zaza and some of them with Zitra would go on to do Porky's A Christmas Story. I mean, uh, Bob Clark's filmography is fucking amazing. <laughs> um, so when they shot the movie, all the actors were actually dancing. Because let's let's be honest, there's some badass dancing in this. The entire movie is saved by Jamie Lee Curtis so at the prom. So good. But when they shot it, the actors were all dancing to actual Gloria Gaynor, Donna Summer, Pat Benatar songs. And when they went to go and get the publishing, they realized, shit, this is way too much money. So Paul Zaza spent a whopping five days and wrote a bunch of quote-unquote original tracks and then got his ass sued for $10 million, which the studio, they ended up settling it for $50,000. But this has become a total cult classic soundtrack. And for years, it was released in Japan and not the U.S. Uh, I was able to find it on Prime. You can get it now. It was released on CD at some point. But that's why, Kat, when you were saying these songs are just like super repetitious, it's because all Zaza did, he's like, I need the BPM and I need the general vibe of the song. I need to get through a a verse and a chorus. And then I'm just going to repeat the verse and the chorus over and over. I was so into it when it first started. I'm like, I literally was just like, I was like 10 out of 10. Love the soundtrack, blah, blah, blah. And then it just didn't end. And I'm like, okay, next song, please. No, we're just going to, all right, it's still going, still going. Yeah, I was wondering while I was watching it, I kept thinking, because there are great, great dance scenes and the ultimate dance scene with Jamie Lee Curtis, um, she's dancing with her boyfriend. The character's name is Nick. I don't know what the actress name is. Uh, Classic all-time horror slasher scene in my opinion but I was wondering like right up through that point like I don't recognize any of these disco hits that are from the era that would be played at a prom in 1980 um, none of them really were ringing any bells other than sounding like vaguely like disco hits and then there's one scene where you unmistakably hear I will survive and I was like oh yeah. it's I will survive finally one I know but then it's not I will survive it's just <laughs> it's exactly it's exactly yeah. I will survive except for with different lyrics mm. and I was like okay it's a I very suitable version of I will survive yeah, this, yeah. this whole soundtrack is just knocked off begging of, to be litigated <laughs> I will say I was a big fan of the uh, van explosion scene, for sure. Mm, I was very surprised one. to see Unexpected. that. Unexpected. Mm-hmm. Out of, out of nowhere, I was like, oh, that's some good. That's some good van explosion. I couldn't I couldn't confirm it, but allegedly in like one of the interviews or one of the commentaries of this film, it's either Paul Lynch or somebody on set claims that one of the stunt coordinators stole that van, that they literally did not have that van. Um, could be just a legend of a movie that's now 40 years old, but I, I would like to believe that's true, that some fucking psycho on set was like, look, guys, I got a van. Let's blow it up. I mean, it, it was a pretty cool van, so I'm kind of bummed for whoever owned it <laughs> that it was stolen and subsequently exploded off of a cliff. I loved that whole sequence because the van that you guys are talking about belongs to uh, a young man by the name of Slick. I think his Ooh, name is Seymour. Slick. Seymour yeah, Slick him. Crane. Yeah, and he plays the classic slasher character of the uh, the larger, dorkier young man, uh, oftentimes with a lot of hair. We, we've seen him in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We see him in, like, Friday the 13th Part 3. There's Shelly, I think. Uh, there's always the, the kid, the larger kid. And uh, in this movie, this is the only one where he is the, he's the only character who actually um, consummates 
prom night. Good for in him. In the van, his van, him. yeah, with with Jude, they're uh, they really get it on. Two and best he, characters. Not only in the that. Film. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, Lou is the first, but uh, not only that, he has like 50 joints. I've never seen that many joints in any old slasher that he has like a whole pile of joints and they're going right to town. He has mm. the greatest night of his life, Good which happens to turn out to be the last night of his life. So well, if, that, if was, that was a great scene. If you're going to go out, you might as well go smoke out on 40 top. joints and bang somebody before. Exactly. Yeah. That's my yeah, motto. There's a lot of talent around this movie, too. The movie was written by William Gray, who was known for The Changeling, The Philadelphia Experiment, The Hitchhiker. Oh. Uh, huh. Good filmography there. So there's a lot of muscle behind this. Trent, you, mes- you mentioned Nick. Uh, the actor that played Nick was Casey Stevens. And this was sort of supposed to be his career taking off. He would actually only end up doing one more film because he died of AIDS in 1986. So he was... Sort of like one of the up and coming, you know, heartthrobs on the uh, on the scene, uh, but got sick. He did a movie called Threshold in 1981, and then got pretty sick and passed away five years after that. Hmm. I had no idea Leslie Nielsen was in this until I started watching it and saw him in the credits. Um, that was a pleasant <laughs> surprise, and I loved his moves. There's a scene where he he plays. Uh, Kim's father, Jamie Lee Curtis, and there's a scene where they groove together for a minute on the dance floor, which I really appreciated. Yeah, but then he kind of falls off. Like, what happens to him in the movie? Did I miss that part? What did he get uh, slashed? <laughs> yeah, out of nowhere. No, no, he just disappears. Yeah, yeah, and then there's no more of him. I'm like, where did Leslie go? <laughs> a lot of the, a lot left on the cutting room floor. There's a lot of scenes that they chopped out of this that were kind of the parents explaining things about the kids. There was a lot of scenes where um, Leslie Nielsen was supposed to be sort of presented as a suspect. The mom was, source, uh, was sort of supposed to be presented as a suspect. Um, some therapy scenes, like all this stuff, and uh, they just ultimately ended up cutting it out. I think oh, for the TV release of this, um, I think they ended up maybe dumbing down some of the gore scenes and refilling in some of those scenes that I just talked about that got cut. So I think if you find the TV cut, you could check it out. I mean, um, they could have cut was... any of those dance scenes by at least three no, minutes. Cat... And Absolutely maybe dance scenes not. Are the Get heart the of this fuck movie. out of here. I, d- I needed some backstory from this family. Damn. I just, I needed more Leslie, Sad. okay? I needed What's some backsides dancing. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered about where Leslie went and I wondered about some of the suspects because I didn't guess the twist. Um, Mm -hmm. I had different suspects through the movie and I I didn't guess the ultimate reveal, but I think that is partly because it really doesn't make any sense. And maybe this goes (laughs) to like this being so hastily put together and edited. But like, Mm -hmm. if you just think through the logic of the setup, the first scene where the young Robin dies Mm. and you think about what happened um, preceding that scene, like, it just doesn't make sense at all. So I think that's why I didn't guess it, because why would you guess that? Um, but, you know, whatever. Who cares? Uh, this isn't Halloween by any stretch. But I think it's pretty darn close second tier. I can't oh, say okay. it. I can't say it. But there's one line that the killer says where I was immediately like, oh, it's you. I'll tell you. I'll tell you guys after. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. It, it's, oh, it's literally. Really? It's the It's the cheesiest line ever. But it's so bad that I was like. Oh, they're just trying to keep you relevant. All right, it's you. I guess Interesting. I was just wondering why this person waited so long to get their revenge. Like, why did they wait? Mm. There were like 
10 sure. years, six years or I guess six senior years prom. Yeah. senior prom bro there's no way any of those people were fucking 16 years old I'm so sorry what well welcome to the 80s I mean Jesus we just talked about it last week that we were surprised that like Damien wasn't played by a 45 year old in the home <laughs> this is true this is true honestly because the first scene is the younger kids when it moves into the future six years and it shows Jamie Lee Curtis at first I wasn't entirely sure if she was a young mom or if she was supposed right. to be yeah. like in high school, I was like, I, I was kind of confused. Like, okay, she's it was a, a kid. yeah, it was a little confusing at first. Cat, did you when you were um, crowned? Yes. Was it preordained? Because in this movie, they know the prom king and queen before the event. It's already known, yeah. and they have a whole rehearsal with the king and queen. Everybody already knows who it is. Was yours like that, or did you vote at the prom? No, everyone voted beforehand. And then it was announced at the prom. It was okay, but it was announced at the prom. It, it wasn't yeah. announced before the prom like this. No. I thought that was a little weird. I did not have any rehearsal. I had an inkling that I might be winning <laughs> because I'm so popular and cool. Um, so Rigged. there's that. Cat was Bye. the one with the fifty joints, and she was like, "I handed out fifty I joints. Oh, I have at least fifty votes. I'm counting people I put a little vote for me." Um, I will say I did have a favorite quote, and I think I texted it to Trent. Yes, but you I did. think I mean I know I texted it to Trent. It was, <laughs> it's not who you go with, it's who takes you home. Ah, and that's going to be my motto for this hot girl summer I'm about to have. 2021, <laughs> sad bitch summer slash hot girl summer. Look out, everyone. I believe... I believe this movie somehow spawned three sequels and a 2008 remake that was PG-13. It's a loose remake, by the way, pretty much in name only. And I believe that line <laughs> exists in every subsequent <gasps> movie. I believe they found a way to put that line into all of the future Prom Night films. Well, it makes um, sense. Hey, this thing wasn't a, wasn't a failure. They made it for a, a million and a half. It made $15 million at the box office. So Respectable. It's, it, wasn't, it wasn't Friday the 13th which also came out in 1980. Um, I don't think it's as good as The Fog. The Fog, believe it or not, is actually one of my favorite John Carpenter and Jamie Lee Curtis movies. I love the original Fog. Uh, tragic remake. Never watch the remake. If you We watch tried. Remake, just, you said yeah. you guys vetoed it. Oh, it's so bad. Um, but hey, the interesting thing about um, Jamie Lee Curtis is she almost wasn't Kim Hammond in this movie. Kim was originally cast to be played by Eve Plum, who we all know as Jan Brady from the Brady Bunch. Oh, and then uh, Jamie, Lee Cur Jamie Lee Curtis's agent called. She was only a year and a half or so removed from Halloween and said, hey, Jamie Lee Curtis is interested in this. And they kicked poor Eve Aww. Plum to the curb, put Jamie Lee Curtis in it. She made $30,000 to do this movie, which would be about 100 k today. But she's been quoted as saying that this was the first film she ever made any money. Jamie, Jamie, Jamie. I think that this is um, a classic example of a movie that isn't very well received at its time, but develops a cult following over time. And I think the reason for that is that when this came out, uh, a lot of the criticism toward it was the very obvious um, it's a mashup between Carrie and Halloween. And not only that, it's a rather dull mashup of uh, Carrie and Halloween. And Saturday Night we, Fever was uh, all, right, right, all of its quote. influences were too See, close. that's the thing. Beaches. Yes, that's kind of where, where I'm going. I think that what was a criticism then, now, in, in proper context, I think it's more like 
this was part of the beginning of a lot of things. And yeah, it did have those influences on its sleeve and it did mash in the, the uh, Saturday Night Fever stuff and it mashed in some other stuff too. Um, it definitely did like some of its own things and now I think it's more like among those movies and, and not like just a ripoff of those. Yeah, it's it's it plays nostalgia well the, the older it gets for sure. But it also... I think that I know what you did last summer was a mad ripoff of prom mm-hmm. night, and I don't. I haven't looked up. I know what you did last summer. Yeah, it hasn't come up on the show. Yeah. I haven't watched Good it in a point. long time. That's what I thought. But I know what you did last summer is a crazy ripoff of prom. That's night. the vibes I was getting when I first yeah when I first uh, started watching it. I actually did watch the remake from two thousand and eight. I I watched it as well. Pretty bad, but. <laughs> Honestly, I didn't hate it. It's very, very stupid, and it, it, the story is yeah. totally different, although it is still like tied to the past, a traumatic family event, but that's the only commonality. Yeah, that's it. Um, it it's bad, but I didn't hate it. Did you hate it, Kevin, or did you just kind of think like, eh, you know, whatever? No, and it's weird. Uh, like, I, I think it's when like I signed up for like Stars or Showtime or one of the Prime add-ons because we needed to watch a movie for Speak All Evil, and I was just going through, and like one of them had this like smorgasbord of like, sorority row like all of these 80s remakes that happened in like the aughts and that's i just watched yeah i just watched all of them they're all terrible but incredibly yeah. satisfying i totally could watch them <laughs> you should see me in the crowd i'm gonna run there's nothing to watch me make them bow The other prom pick this week was a movie called The Loved Ones from 2009. I think this is the first Australian movie we've ever talked about. Possibly. Yeah, I guess Wolf Creek has never come into our orbit. We'll have to remedy that because there is a lot of great Australian horror out there. And this is an example. This was written and directed by Sean Byrne. It was his debut feature film. He made a movie in 2015 called The Devil's Candy, which I heard about at the time and then I I forgot about. Have you seen that, Kevin? I loved it. I actually just, after we knew, after I knew The Loved Ones was coming up, I rewatched it and I love it. It's great. I got to see that. Looks good. Um, This is free on Prime right now, or you can rent it on uh, a few of the major platforms. This is about a troubled young teen named Brent who is struggling with the death of his father six years prior, the same amount of time that transpires uh, in Prom Night. Six months prior. Six months. Oh, wait. It's only six months? Yes. He looks the same. Oh, this whole time, I was wondering, I thought like six years was still, it was a long time to be in the state that he and his mom are in. Uh, okay, so there there goes one of my similarities. <laughs> so was, his father died only six months prior to the present day in a car accident where Brent was driving. So he uh, blames himself. His mom seems to sort of blame him, and they're both still fully in the throes of grief and loss. He's practicing self-harm. He's into drugs. He's kind of a bad boy. Um, It is the eve of his prom. He's asked to prom by Lola, who presents initially as kind of an awkward, outcast, outsider weirdo. Um, But uh, Brent already has plans to go to the prom with his girlfriend, Holly, so he has to turn down Lola. He ends up uh, getting in a fight with his mom the night of the prom and takes off with his dog, and never comes back. Of course, he ends up in some sort of crazy torture chamber 
Uh, not that different from uh, a movie like Hostel when you get right down to it. Um, I loved this one. I thought this was very, very effective. I loved the way it built the story and the connections like over the entire movie. You're still finding out more and more things as the movie goes on. And I really liked how it was still wrapping things up and still finishing connections right up pretty much until the end. Um, this is a really good time. I like this one. Kevin, what did you think? I'm surprised. I, I know that the first time you watched this, Trent, you were sort of lukewarm on it. So I'm glad that uh, a second watch brought you around. That's exciting. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm, okay, well, I'm happy, I, I was just, that, I'm yeah, happy yeah, that you're yeah, happy. Hey, I, I guess. Trying, you know, I'm, I'm trying happy to that you rapport. guys are happy. I did, I did like it a little more. I thought I, I, it distinguished itself in my mind a little bit more the second time I saw it last year originally. I just wanted to hear you compliment it more. Uh, this is a great one. I love this one. This is, this is like... Uh, when this came out in like 2009, this is like the height of Bloody Disgusting when you sort of could figure out that you could find all of these foreign movies or these uh, film festival movies and you just wanted to get your hands on them. So when I heard about the loved ones, I was like, I got to find this. I got to find this. So I think my initial love for this movie and excitement was like when you find that like Pearl Jam export European CD at your local CD. Like for us, it would be Bull Moose at your local CD store. And for me, it was like, I got a hold of the loved ones. I'm so excited. I have to like it. So there was a 0% chance I wouldn't like it because the, the mission was so important. But this is Sean Burns' debut, like you said. He was just out of film school. And this movie plays just like somebody who was just out of film school. They know how to make a movie now, and they're going to take every single one of their influences and try to fit it into an 84-minute movie. The amount of homages, Trent, you mentioned Hostel, but we could go, we're, we are going to go down a rabbit hole of how much he fits in. But you're right, upon future viewings, I've seen this movie five or six times, Upon future viewings, you continue to appreciate how some of the what would be cliche relationships in a typical horror movie, how they unfold in kind of original ways. They flip some stuff on its head. There's the the side story of Brent's best friend, um, Jamie, and his date to the prom and um, Mia. Mia. Yes. Jamie and Mia. And you you the whole time, like you're thinking it's going to be this cliche thing where they somehow end up in this mess with Brent or they come to the rescue and then like halfway through the movie you're like is this just a distraction is there any point to this mm -hmm. but then as the story unfolds like you mentioned you're like oh here's how all these characters connect but it's also another part of the movie where they he really drills home what it's like to be a teenager on the night of the prom or at that time in your life so I love the main character Brent Xavier Samuel plays him great I love Lola. Robin McLevy plays Lola. And she is unbelievably hateable. Although, like you said, Trent, at the beginning, she's incredibly sympathetic. You don't want to believe what ends up happening. There's major creep factors in this movie when you meet Daddy, mm. when you meet Lola's Daddy, and you meet daddy. Bright Eyes, and you're like, who the hell is Bright Eyes? Uh, Jessica McNamee, who plays Mia, the goth girl who has so much more to do with the movie than you realize. Really good. Um, I mean, I can talk about this movie forever. It has everything as a horror fan. Uh, it does jump the shark a little bit a few times, but it has such a satisfying ending to me where it's, it's satisfying but still very heartbreaking because you have to think about what is now ahead of our protagonist. 
This movie was so fun. Um, I lo- just kidding. It was so fucked up. This was so fucked up. <laughs> Not only were there the very weird family dynamics of Lola and her daddy, um, but Homegirl had some very serious self-esteem slash mental health issues stemming from what I'm only sure is years and years of abuse at the hands of her father. Um, you get rejected, so you uh, kidnap and torture people. Seems like a very mentally uh, sound route to take, sure. Um, what did all the other dudes do? I'm just kind of wondering. Was it the same kind of like rejection thing, or was it her father picking people off? Because you kind of, you know, down the road, you kind of find out that, you know, this is her first time, quote unquote drilling the whole into the head kind of a situation without us uh, spoiling anything really um <sighs> i very much couldn't handle the dancing scene i kind of want to talk about that a little bit um the swaying of lola and brent with the um the crucified feet to the floor was probably the worst (laughs) part for me just trying to picture how he felt I just can't like that was the cringiest part for me and it just kind of showed how fucked up she was how evil she was to be like "Mm, just sway with me the soundtrack to this one also penetrated my brain just like that power drill did (laughs) um (laughs) That one song that she played over and over mm. and over. Yeah. And I'm like, was that me when I was 14 and like listening to like the sad, like self-esteem songs? Um, it was terrible. She's like, I'm going to play it at my wedding. I'm like, that's not a good song uh, to play at your wedding, but maybe uh, put a pin in that for later. Um, Brent's shrieking was so haunting and so terrifying. It was definitely super effective for what they were trying to convey. Um, it did a great job uh, conveying that horror of like what he was going through, but it definitely penetrated my soul and my brain. And I was very excited to watch this tall drink of water that is Brent. Uh, what was the actor's name, Kevin? Xavier Samuel. Excited to uh, delve into his filmography a little <laughs> bit more, but then they messed up his beautiful face. And I was like, well, there goes that. But... Yeah, I was just trying to focus on the pretty things in this film because it was just so fucked the rest of the time. I liked it, though. I thought it was fun-ish. There were some twists and some turns that I didn't see coming. So it just, you know, it kept me on my toes, kept me on my feet. And uh, yeah, it was a very effective horror film. And I'm I'm glad that y'all made me watch it. Kept your feet nailed right to the floor. Right to that floor. It is very graphic. There is a lot of brutal violence. I would call this a brutal one, much more brutal than Prom Night. Mm-hmm. Um, still very similar, though, and something that we see in a lot of these movies, um, both Prom Night and The Loved Ones Have in Common, is the sort of like being stuck in grief and how the grief over a loss of someone in the family can continue to hurt the family and if the family can't move past that and the family can't resolve the issues that come with that loss then they end up losing more and both of these stories 
really, if you get right down to it, it's the failure and the, the inability to accept the initial loss that then leads to further loss. So they both have that in common, and that's not particularly original. Like I said, that's pretty like off-the-rack horror thematic um, stuff. Uh, I loved the best friend Jamie in this, to me, was the slick of prom night. That's what Again, I thought. The, the dorky um, friend is, is the only one getting any action. Of course, his date, uh, Mia, who is my prom queen of the week. No offense, Kat. Um, it's I, it's I, understandable. I like that. Now, I was a little curious as to why nobody uh, called Jamie the whole time. I thought, Kevin, you mentioned you thought that the best friend and his date might be a little bit more involved in this. And it does re- reveal uh, later in the movie the connection that, that Mia has to the situation. But... Um, I kind of expected maybe when they're looking for the missing Brent, they might call his best friend, uh, Jamie, and at some point alert him to the fact that Brent is missing, but that never happens. You don't really know if he's a best friend or not because there's just that quick interaction at school, and Brent is clearly sort of like totally withdrawn. I mean, Holly's a total champ, his girlfriend. She is sticking around with him. At one point, she calls him an emotional bad word um (laughs) yeah yeah. so i I think it's more um i don't think it's necessarily implied that like they are together all the time through thick and they're that close but also like i I was going to mention there's a lot of kids going missing in this town brent is not lola's first uh date shall we say Mm. and the the police how bad is your police department it's australia (laughs) there aren't a whole lot of people around and that percentage <laughs> of teenage boys going missing, and you're just kind of like, eh, must have headed out to the outback. Yeah, it's a very small town. The, the town is small enough that the prom is just at the high school. There, do, there really aren't too many people around, it doesn't seem like. So you would think that w- when it's revealed that Lola has like a uh, personal yearbook of past victims from prom's past, you wonder like how this has been going on undetected or like nobody put this together, especially with the way one of her past victims ends up tying in. Kevin, you talked about all the like classic references and homages in this. We just talked about the movie Shaitan or Shaitan um, and the dinner scene in that movie bearing some resemblance to the dinner scene in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. This movie has, I think, maybe even more similar of a dinner scene to Texas Chainsaw Massacre right down to the seemingly half-dead person at the table who is the character Bright Eyes, uh, this woman with a hole drilled in her head. She's kind of like the grandfather at uh, at Texas Chainsaw Massacre's dinner. Um, this is an extensive scene uh, just like that and really goes over the top. There's the basement reveal, Cat You mentioned uh, Lola and her dad have this basement where all of a sudden it's like The Road. Have you guys ever seen The Road with Viggo Mortensen? Very Evil Dead homages there. Oh, for sure. sure, sure. Um, So some interesting things about the cast. So if you want to see more Xavier Samuel Cat, he has a huge filmography, but he was also in a bunch of the Twilight movies. So I don't know if you feel like going uh, like Team Edward or Team Jacob or whatever. I will. Um, Robin McLevy is in Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. She plays Lola in this. I I really want to know, and I couldn't find out, if she was wearing contacts or if she really has those like unbelievable green eyes because as psychotic as she is her eyes are absolutely mesmerizing in this and i loved it 
Wow. Loved it. Sounds like someone is smitten. Maybe you <laughs> you, you would have brought Lola to the prom, it sounds uh, like. Jessica McNamee, Trent, I'm glad that you already said it. The argument's over. I was going to say, hey, we got an obvious mommy of the week. It's Jamie Lee Curtis. No, sorry, it's Mia. She has quite the filmography. She is in the new Mortal Kombat, which is on HBO Max right now, I think. Uh, if it oh, hasn't okay. gone away al- already. Um, but she's in a... May 23rd. She's in a great one called I'm Just Fucking With You, which is from the Hulu in the Dark series. And that's a great one. Uh, she's in a movie called The Neighbor. She plays Margaret Court in a movie called Battle of the Sexes. Uh, really good actress. Transforms herself in a lot of her roles. So well done there. Also, Xavier Samuel's character, Brent, you mentioned the bleach and the vocal cords cat, which is a very, very painful scene, which then drags on for the next like 60 minutes. He has zero dialogue after 27 minutes because of that. So you have basically mm. your main protagonist who doesn't utter a word after 27 minutes of the film. Um, gave me some Hannibal Lecter vibes, how you know Anthony Hopkins won, a, won an Oscar for being in a movie for like 14 minutes. Um, and then an interesting casting thing, kind of like we talked about, uh, Jan Brady was supposed to be in Prom Night. John Jarrett, who plays the antagonist in Wolf Creek, who if you've seen that, you know who I'm talking about. He turned down the role of daddy because he was scared that he was starting to be typecast. My favorite thing about Mia's character, who is a an unsmiling, stone-faced goth. She's like a hot goth, but she like is totally, um, she has like no affect whatsoever. And she's agreed to go to the prom with Jamie for what reason? I don't know. She doesn't seem like she wants to. And she just kind of makes him sit in the car in the parking lot outside the prom the whole time, drinking whiskey and smoking pot. It was like such a classic like high school thing, like going to an event, even post high school, really like going to an event, but like not really. You're really just like outside most of the time doing other stuff. And then you're just kind of like making an appearance at the event. And this appearance is cut short when <laughs> Mia starts oh performing performing a sex act, much like the one we saw on the dog in uh, Shaitan. Oh, um, she goes about that. right ahead uh, <laughs> on the dance floor in the middle of the prom. It's so, oh, was that not the move? So Did weird. you guys not do that at prom? <laughs> that didn't happen at my nope, prom. Nope. I can tell you that. Um, Another thing that I thought was really original about this, I don't think we've seen. We've seen a lot of self-harm in these movies, but I don't think we've ever seen a male character doing the self-harm. And that becomes like a very important part of the story because Brent does the self-harm with a razor blade that he keeps on a chain around his neck. And that razor blade comes into play repeatedly probably too many times to be honest at at some point i gotta think he's not just gonna keep having the stupid razor blade again and again but it it almost you know you can think of it as like uh, that classic kind of thing where um the the issues the shortcomings or the struggles of the character kind of like in a way help them power through some of the obstacles and some of the things that they have to face like if he hadn't been practicing self-harm he wouldn't have been in such a position to a take the punishment and b have his little uh, the little ace up his sleeve which he continually uses to try to survive that is overused movie. and so is the false escapes there are like too many like almost got away with it or almost killed the killers scenes in this which you know Hats off to Sean Byrne. He threw everything at this. 
in 84 minutes, but I was like tight. Yeah, yeah, it's tight, but I was like a little tired of like stop making me think he's going to get away, you know, for the fourth time or stop making me think that that razor blade's going to be like the savior for the third time. Um, but you know, then you mentioned Trent like the 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 basement reveal and they just kept revealing things that I wasn't actually expecting. So you would forgive like the cliche fake out for the next reveal. And even if that reveal was deadites or a cut to some of the side characters where they revealed, hey, this person actually has a lot more to do with the story than you thought, um, that it, this this movie works for me. Honestly, this is like, I'm not saying it's as good as this, but in terms of my brain and how my brain works with horror, in, in I guess a more commercial sense, this movie is up there with Cabin in the Woods for me in terms of it giving me Every little like piece of crack cocaine that I want throughout the course of an 84 minute relatively generic horror movie. You mentioned all the like near escapes and some of the there's near rescues and all that classic stuff. The worst near escape is when Brent makes it out of the house where he's being held and he is being chased by daddy who is driving a car and and Brent is running in front of the car and the car is coming up on him and he has the choice of like all he has to do is jump over the fence there's kind of a low fence right in front of him and there's a bunch of rocks and debris all in front of the fence the the car could not drive through this fence and it's it's cornered too like there's it's not just a one-way fence like there's a whole fence it seems like around at least half the property all he has to do is jump over that fence and the car you know he would the guy would at least have to stop the car get out on foot and then try to follow him but instead he runs up a tree I will say I was definitely getting some uh, I was getting some little uh, like tiny Jennifer Tilly vibes uh, from the Lola character for sure. Oh, she reminded yeah, me of a definitely. little Jennifer Tilly. I was very into it. Lola had some moments. She had yeah. many moments. You mentioned the music cat. It's an interesting soundtrack. They mix, you know, a good score in with just some rock and roll. And the music was done by uh, an Australian musician called Ollie Olson. He has a really fascinating uh, past, has done projects with like Michael Hutchins of In Excess, uh, just lots of crazy credits and projects. So I love the use of slow-mo that Sean Byrne used in this. There's a lot of slow-mo and sometimes it's like when the rock and roll is blaring and you know you wouldn't you know you wouldn't necessarily expect for the the scene to go slow-mo but sometimes when it's not his use of it is good. It could be cheesy but I think he pulls this off. So you know, I might be ruining it for folks who haven't seen the movie and they might focus in on it too much, but I liked that. Um, there was an interesting thing online that pointed out that Lola Stone is an anagram for Lost Alone. So, yeah, people are digging in. <laughs> oh my God. Um, and I, I like this. I do, I do like this. I can't take credit for this. Uh, it's online, but technically Lola is not a serial killer. In fact, she's the worst killer in the entire movie because technically she only claims two lives. Hmm. Good point. That's a very good point. This is a great one. I think these are both great prom horror movies, and you should definitely get your sash, get your tiara, get your votes in, get your date together, and check out both of these movies. 